Welcome to Paycor's Need to Know podcast. It's our quick look at a single subject in the world of HR, payroll, and every area of employee management. It's what you need to know. Catherine Weber is a labor and employee attorney with the firm of Jackson Lewis. She works on labor and employment issues from the employer's side, and she is here today to talk about the changes to overtime pay that are in the process from the Department of Labor. It's one more part of running a business that you need to know. Catherine, thank you very much for joining us today. You are Catherine Weber, an attorney. What is your specialty in the world of law? I'm a partner with the law firm of Jackson Lewis, and Jackson Lewis is a national labor and employment law boutique that assists management side only on issues of labor and employment. So if you're an employer and you have a labor and employment law issue, you would call Jackson Lewis, and whether your employees were in California or Connecticut or Kentucky or Ohio or Florida, wherever you have employees, we have labor and employment attorneys who can assist you. So you're helping businesses of all sizes, you're of all manner of types of businesses and, and number of employees. You might, do you have clients that have 10 employees? You might have clients that have 100 employees. We have clients that have only a few, a handful of employees and we have very large national clients who have thousands, tens of thousands of employees scattered not only through the United States but also in other countries as well. And uh, this is a little off topic but uh, are you, it's a retainer in some ways. It's insurance. Uh, I, I, I kind of want you as my business grows. I, I want to be able to sure I'm doing things right. And a, and a little a little ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Absolutely. I mean, we have essentially two baskets of clients. We have clients who call us when they're contemplating changes or when they're growing and they want to make sure that all of their policies and practices are up to snuff or when there's a new law that comes out. Um, we also have another basket of employers that call us when they get in trouble. Those are the ones that call us not before they decided to terminate the employee but afterwards and they receive the charge of discrimination or they receive the lawsuit claiming that uh, they didn't pay all the wages and overtime that were owed to their employees. So there's both preventative practice work and then there's also litigation defense for our clients. So there are probably a million billion different issues we could talk about as far as employee, employer management, that type of thing. Today we're talking about the Department of Labor and their changes to the overtime rules. Can you explain in simple terms exactly what is happening here, what they're trying to do? Sure. What has happened is back in March of 2014, President Obama issued a memorandum to the Department of Labor and he said, look, the overtime regulations when it comes to the white collar exemptions, those are outdated. They really need to be updated because we have millions of employees who are being denied the right to overtime and in some cases even minimum wage. So his point was that there were some people who were classified as exempt, meaning they don't get overtime, and the minimum salary level that is required to pay to an employee in order for them to be exempt hasn't been updated in years. So President Obama was saying, look, we got to change that because otherwise they could be working as an hourly employee receiving overtime pay and earning more than they are as an exempt employee. Now, what President Obama failed to mention, of course, is these same millions of employees who are being denied the right to minimum wage and overtime, they have other rights that they enjoy. For instance, they get a set salary every week and that set salary, they can count on it to pay the mortgage. It can't be reduced based on the quality or the quantity of the work that they perform. They don't have the hassle of having to punch a time clock. 
They don't have the hassle of having to worry if they come to work a few minutes late or have to leave a few minutes early. As a non-exempt employee, the folks that are paid on an hourly rate basis, typically plus overtime, those folks, you have to track their time. They get paid by how much they work, not on a salaried basis, typically. So these, as you pointed out, um, it's very gray. This is not a black and white issue. This is, this is there's, there's some positives and negatives across the board here. There are. And the Department of Labor has been really involved out in social media, trying to convince everyone that these new um, white collar regulations, as we call them, that these newly proposed white collar regulations are great for America. And there are two sides to that issue. And of course, the Department of Labor only presents one. Um, the other side of, of the equation is the fact that um, there are some people who are going to be reclassified under these final regulations. They'll be reclassified as non-exempt and they may see a decrease in the amount of their weekly pay as a result of the employer not being able to afford what essentially amounts to a luxury tax, if you will, for purposes of, of treating somebody as an exempt employee. In other words, the, the final rules, what they ultimately will say is, if you wanna characterize somebody as exempt, okay, but you're gonna pay an exorbitant amount to do so. Let's, let's for our listeners who, who we, we try and present a full view, very quick, non-exempt versus exempt. Give me a quick definition to make sure we're all in the same field here. Sure. Well, most employers think that as long as they pay their employee a salary that they're exempt. That's not true. Okay? So in order to be an exempt employee, you have to be paid on a salaried basis, which means you get a set salary every week that's not reduced based on the quality or the quantity of the work that you perform. They have to be paid a minimum salaried amount which currently is $455 a week, which works out to $23,660 a year. That's the part of it that's changing. That's gonna change. In addition, you have to satisfy the duties of one of the exempt categories. Now, there are lots of exemptions out there under federal law, but the ones that are the most familiar to people are called the white collar exemptions. And those are the ones that are the subject of these new proposed rules. So I like to tell people that in order to remember what the white collar exemptions are, use the acronym CHIPO. Don't be a CHIPO, pay overtime when it's required, right? Okay, so the C stands for the computer professional employee. That's the person who is engaged in doing your analysis and your programming, your very high level computer work. The H is the highly compensated employee. That's the employee that makes a total compensation package of at least $100,000 a year. And part of that is made up of $455 a week on a salaried basis. In addition, it is not manual type work and they perform at least one of the duties of the other exemptions. The E is the executive exemption and that's the person who you typically think of as the head manager of the unit. He is the person who is responsible for setting policy and practice or she is the person um, who makes all of the tough calls, who has a lot of discretion. Um, they're running the organization or the unit or the store, whatever it might be. And that person, in addition to basically making those kinds of decisions and making those kinds of duties um, and running the organization or the unit, they also have to supervise at least two full-time employees or their equivalents. 
and you can't share those two employees. So, you, you know, if you have um, a store manager and you have an assistant store manager, they both can't claim the same two employees. Okay, all right. All right? Right, right, right. Okay, so the next one is the A, and that's the administrative exemption. That's the person who uses independent judgment, discretion um, in matters of significance. They're the person that maybe is the head of your human resources function. They're the head of payroll. They could be um, some other position that's administrative in nature, and they're not being micromanaged, okay? Um, the key really is the independent judgment and discretion with respect to matters of significance. Then we have the P, and the P is the professional exemption. And there are two brands of professionally exempt employees. There's a learned professional that we all think of. That's the accountant, the engineer, and they're actually doing accounting or engineering type work. You can't have an accountant who's working at the bakery and call them, well, they're exempt under the professional exemption, right? Um, then we have the creative professional, and that is the person who works as the head chef at your local restaurant or the head baker at, uh, for instance, if you're in Cincinnati in Bon Bonnery, all right? Uh, the O is your outside salesperson, and your outside salesperson is spending their time away from the office making sales, all right? And, and so these folks, if you fall under one of these cheapos, you're exempt from this? Well, if you are paid on a salaried basis, mm -hmm. if you're paid the minimum salaried amount, mm -hmm. and you perform all of the duties of the exemption you're trying to fit into, then you can categorize that person as exempt. That means they don't get overtime. Okay, but what I'm hearing is there's gonna be some misclassification and that's a potential lawsuit, potential fines, potential problems. Employers are sued every day for misclassifying their employees as exempt. And then what the tag-along claim is, not only did you misclassify me as exempt, look at all this overtime that you owed me. And oh, by the way, because I was exempt, I wasn't tracking the hours that I work. So since I wasn't tracking the hours, or to put it more appropriately, you weren't tracking my hours. I was keeping this great little log that shows all this overtime that I was working, and you have to accept that because you weren't tracking my hours worked. You bring up a good point, which is time tracking. Uh, this law, these changes to the overtime laws, it's money, of course, but it really comes back to hours worked. It really comes back to how is the company tracking time. If you have 10 employees, if you have 15 employees, if you have 75 employees, the days of a paper-based timesheet that I just fill out, and sometimes I'm filling it out on Thursday trying to remember what my hours were on Monday and everything, and I sign it and turn it in, those are gone, I think, because what's gonna happen is the Department of Labor or a law firm, firm is gonna come in and say, show us your records, show us the timekeeping records, show us the hours for the past year, two years. And nobody's going to, and, and that's going to be a, a job in itself to produce those. Sure, I mean, under federal law, there's a requirement with respect to your non, or pardon me, with your non-exempt employees that you have certain records, including the hours that people are working. And each state has its own laws regarding what has to be maintained and for how long. But certainly under these new rules, you know, there are going to be millions of people 
that are going to end up being reclassified as non-exempt. And when that happens, you're going to have to determine what their new pay structure is going to be. And normally we would say, okay, well, what's your salary? And then how many hours are you averaging per week? We'll do some math and we'll figure out what your weekly number is going to be based on how many hours I'm going to have you work, right? Well, if I have no tracking of how much time these folks are working on an average basis, then how in the world am I ever going to accurately set down a new compensation for these folks. I'm not going to be able to determine the correct hourly amount because I don't know how much hours they're working each week. And this applies even to salaried folks. They, they need to be tracking their hours as well. Certainly with respect to anybody who is potentially impacted by this new proposed rule, they're going to, you're going to need a method for tracking their time. So, and, and those really, when we get into the new rule, there are essentially a handful of changes that, that make up the bulk of the rule. Um, and one of them, of course, is, the, is that minimum salary threshold amount. And right now, in order to be exempt, you only have to be paid $23,660 on a salaried basis each year. But under the new rule, that jacks up to 50440 Okay, um, this, how are businesses going to comply with this? What, what do you see them doing to say, well, this is a law and now I've got to change my business practices. What are they going to do? I've heard we can expect to have less people hired. We can expect to have much more independent contractors, which I think is a trap. It is. If employers are thinking that they're going to sidestep this rule in the future, or if they're thinking that they're getting away with something right now by using independent contractors, that's a really, really risky place to be. Um, particularly because just within the past few weeks, the Department of Labor issued some guidance that said, look, we consider most workers out there to be employees. And we're not so much considered these days about the control factor. You know, it used to be the question was, it boiled down to, a, there, were, there were lists of factors, but what, what at the end of the day mattered was, did the employer control the means, manner, and method of what the employee or what the worker did? And if the answer was yes, then that worker was likely an employee and not an independent contractor. And there's an easy way to think about this. I mean, the guy that you hire to go and fix your roof, you're not controlling the means or the manner of how he does it, or the methods that he uses. You're telling him, I want this kind of new roof with this kind of shingle, here's the amount I'm gonna pay, and he gets the job done. I'm probably even gonna go away. I'm You're gonna go to my own job away. and come back. Right, exactly, and that's the classic independent contractor. But if, on the other hand, you're talking about somebody who you call in uh, to come to your office every day and that person sits right alongside your other employees and so you're providing the space, you're telling them what to do, you're telling them what the work schedule is, you're giving them the tools to do it, you're disciplining them, you're setting the rates of pay, what are you not controlling? All right, and um, under those circumstances, you're controlling means, manner, method mm -hmm. of what that person's doing. So at the end of the day, that person looks to the Department of Labor more like an employee than an independent contractor. And if that's the case, then the question is, well, how many hours did they work? And did you pay them at least minimum wage? And did you pay them overtime for all the hours that they worked? Oh, yeah, and by the way, did you keep workers' comp coverage on them? And oh, by the way, did you properly withhold taxes and make your employer's side contribution to the taxes? 
What about all those benefits that your other employees get that these poor folks didn't get? You need to make good on those too. I'm starting to see why employers call your firm all the time. <laughs> I'm never bored. Yeah. It's, it's a great area of practice. You're never without work either. That's true. Businesses can't just say, I'm, I'm going to take everybody part-time. Uh, they can't just say, I'm just going to do pure independent contractors and have no employees. Yeah. No, the independent contractor route doesn't work because, as I mentioned, now we're not even talking about means, manner, method. We're talking about whether the worker is essentially dependent upon you for their livelihood. The answer is yes, they're your employee. Yep. Does, now, does this rule, is there a ceiling for a number of employees a company has? Is, if I have five, do I still need to worry about this as the same person who has 50 employees? You do. Um, unlike a lot of the other federal laws when you're talking about the Fair Labor Standards Act, um, and that's the federal wage and hour law, you are more concerned about whether or not you have $500,000 in annual sales and receipts. If you've got that $500,000 number, then you've got coverage under the Fair Labor Standards Act. In addition to that, let's say you're a smaller employer and you don't have $500,000 worth of, of sales and receipts. If you have an employee who, for instance, engages in interstate commerce by sending letters so by not even emails. Not even driving to the other state, just oh, mailing well, a Driving letter. to the other state would count too. But yeah, but, but just mailing an email mailing, to somebody in another letters? state. Yes, absolutely. That's engaging in interstate commerce, Okay, right? looking for work across state lines. I mean, looking for business for that company. It's all about either you've got the $500,000 mm -hmm. enterprise coverage test met or alternatively you're engaging in interstate commerce. So the business as a whole, let's say you have a business that has 10 employees, but they only have $400,000 in sales. All right, so as a whole, the business isn't covered, but let's say they have three employees who are salespeople and they cross state lines or they use the mail to solicit or they use the internet to generate sales or they're driving to potential customers um, and they're crossing state lines. Mm, now you have individual coverage for those three employees. Okay. So let's wrap this up. What should employers be doing to comply? Uh, what, who, call, call you. <laughs> What do they need to be doing right away to make sure they're not hit by this? Sure. All right. Well, what you have to do is, is this first. First, you've got to take a look at your employees and what they're being paid. So you take a look at your employees and determine who you've categorized as exempt. All right. Then you figure out how much you're paying each of those exempt employees on a salaried basis. If they're currently being closely or paid close to $50,440, which is going to be the new minimum salary threshold, then the easy thing to do is to increase their salary to the $50,440 number, right? There are going to be some employees, though, that make significantly less or that you just don't want to give them that kind of an increase, maybe because your business can't afford it, right? With respect to those people, you're going to have to reclassify them as non-exempt. Then you're going to decide how you're going to pay them. So you're going to take their salary, you're going to figure out how many hours they're working per, per week on an average basis, and you're going to do some math and you're going to come up with a new hourly or salary basis for their compensation. But in addition to paying them on that hourly or salary basis, you're going to have to pay them overtime at the rate of time and a half for all the hours that they work. So in order to determine how you're going to continue to operate and still make a profit, you either have to decide that you're going to impose a new hourly rate so that if they only work 40 hours a week, they'll earn the same, 
and you're going to minimize all their overtime work. They're never going to work overtime. Instead, you're going to push that work to part-time workers or people who are paid less where you can afford the overtime rate more, right? Or you will create a new hourly rate that anticipates that they'll continue to perform the same amount of hours per work each week, all right? Now, the problem comes in that when you start having these employees continue to work under this new compensation plan and you see the labor costs associated with every hour over 40, what are you going to do as an employer? I'm going to make sure nobody's hitting 40. I'm going to make sure nobody's getting overtime. Right. Because if they continue to hit overtime, you're going to continue to have to pay them more, which means you're either going to have to raise your prices or you're going to take home less profit and you're going to have less to pay the bills. And this is kind of a drag for the employees as well because, you know, and overtime's not a bad thing for them. No. And, and you know, I mean, you can imagine an example and uh, of somebody who maybe is working, say, 40000 uh, earning a salary of $40,000 a year, and once they get uh, uh, re- um, characterized as a non-exempt employee and they're receiving an hourly rate plus overtime, by the time you stop their overtime and now they're only working 40 hours a week and somebody else is doing that additional labor, they're now making more in the, you know, the, the low 30s. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a real, you know, there are two sides to this coin as to whether it's good or bad for people um, who are out there working. And you know, there was a letter that was written by, I think it was 144 members of Congress to President Obama last summer. And they basically said, hey, you know what? We think this is great because it's going to restore the traditional 40-hour work week and it's going to give people more time to spend with their families. And in addition, it is going to push the work to the part-time workforce that needs it to pay their bills and make ends meet. Well, what you're going to end That's up doing... That's one side of it. That is one side of it because for the guy who ends up having his pay decreased, he now is going to have to go pick up a second job on a part-time basis. <laughs> he's somebody else's... He's That's some right. other business's part-time work. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And if, you're, if you've got somebody that... Um, is a highly compensated employee, you're going to have to increase their salary to $122,148 in order to maintain the exemption. Okay. okay. So it's, it, we talked about a little bit about this. It's timekeeping. It comes down to an accurate timekeeping system that's going to provide overtime alerts, that's going to let you check it um, any day, that's going to let you check the entire organization. Of course, Paycor provides all that. Um, can they turn to their CPA to help them with this? Well, certainly their CPA can provide some advice, but I think at the end of the day, the information that you are going to need as an employer is about how many hours they're working on a weekly basis. Okay. And your CPA is not going to have that. Right. Paycor, they would have that. If they, if they do your payroll, they're going to have the tools in order to generate a report that says here are employees 1 through 25 right. and here, here is the average amount of hours that they work yeah. per week based on what we paid them, which was what they logged into your timekeeping system. We've got those reports set up, ready right. to go for our clients, mm -hmm. and it's just sitting down and looking at the numbers and figuring out what direction you want to go. Right. But the, you know, one of the biggest challenges on this, and people are going to find this out as they start setting about the, the process of identifying those workers who are exempt and earning less than 50000 um, they're also going to find themselves going, oh my gosh, I don't have any 
tracking at all. I, I don't know how to set their time or how to set their uh, rate of pay. And for those folks, you know, they really ought to start now with some sort of a program where they go to their, all of their employees and say, look, um, we're doing a trial in anticipation of changes to the wage and hour laws, we need to start tracking how many hours each person works every day. And that includes not only the hours that you're here, but for your exempt folks, you know they're checking their mobile devices, they're working at home off their laptops, they're working when they're on the beach over spring break, okay? So you need for people to start tracking their hours so that you can get a handle on that, what that new rate of pay is going to be, um, so that you can accurately forecast where your labor costs are going to be at the end of the day. So what I'm hearing from you is there's an aspect of communication to this from employer down to employees that needs to be addressed well ahead of time. Because when you reclassify people from exempt to non-exempt, vice versa, that type of thing, um, salary to, out to hourly pay, there's a message you're sending to them. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Anytime you have a situation where you're taking an exempt employee and you're changing them to a non-exempt employee and telling them that they're no longer going to receive a salary and they're going to be paid an hourly rate or maybe you're going to continue to pay a salary but in addition they're going to receive overtime along with that comes you're going to have to record your time you're going to have to punch the time clock you're going to come to work on time on a set schedule you're going to leave on time and oh, by the way, all that work from home that you do using the company provided laptop or your cell phone to check emails at night, you can't do that anymore because we need to be able to track all the hours that you're working. And if you're not working here, it's difficult for us to track that time. Now, if you're an employee and you're just told that you're going from salary to hourly with timekeeping requirements, how do you feel? I feel demoted. You don't feel important. I do not. I feel less trusted, and I feel like you're asking me to do probably the same amount of work that was taking me 50 hours before, 55. Now I only have 40 hours to do it, and I have to do it in my office. That's right. That is exactly the message that employees perceive. So before these final regulations are issued, there needs to be a communication campaign, and you need to be talking to your employees and, and preparing a plan for how you'll make them understand that they still have a very important role to fill within your organization, how your customers still rely upon them, both internally and externally, how just because they have to keep track of their time, that's only because we want to make sure that we pay you in a way that rewards you for the hours that you spend. We're going to have to work on that type of a communication campaign beforehand because if we're confronted with an angry mob when we do the transition, no work is going to get done for months. And it sounds like I better bring in donuts on that first day. I think you better. Okay. Thank you very much. The Need to Know podcast and its contents are the exclusive property of Paycor Incorporated and may not be distributed without prior written consent. The subject matter in this podcast should not be considered tax, financial, or legal advice. For more information about this subject or other employee management solutions, please contact your Paycor specialist or visit Paycor.com. Thank you for your time.